Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush her head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. This is the word of God. Uh, good morning. Thank you for joining us on uh, this gloomy day. If you're wondering where the energy is right now, they're, they're at a college retreat. Uh, I had the, the opportunity to speak for them yesterday. And... Um, I have a lot of respect for those uh, who do a lot for the college. They have so much energy. I felt antisocial. Like, I didn't want to talk to anyone during lunch. I just wanted to sit in the corner and eat by myself. Um, but uh, yeah, please pray for them. Please um, uh, just support them in any way possible. It's a great and thriving ministry. Uh, it, was, it was such a privilege to be there with them and uh, give them two messages. Uh, today, here, um, if, uh, if you're new or you're visiting, welcome, first of all. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, for the past few weeks, we've been going through a sermon series called The Blueprint of Redemption. And uh, in the sermon series, we're covering the question of what's wrong with the world and how God will redeem it. And we're going to continue on through that today to help answer these questions. 
And uh, we're going to be emphasizing verses 1 through 9 in our passage today, which is probably the most famous passage in all of the Bible. The human heart, it naturally has a certain disposition towards God. If you look deep within your heart, you probably feel some way towards God, and it most likely isn't a positive feeling. It's a feeling of distrust. You don't trust God. You don't trust that he has your best interest in mind. In fact, you think that God is keeping you from having fun. That God is a closed-fisted slave master keeping you as far away from the party as possible. Why do we have this feeling? It wasn't always this way. And as we've been uncovering for the past few weeks, there was a time when God and the human race lived in perfect harmony. It was a very long time ago, but up until the point, our passage today, God and man, they lived in unity. It was wonderful and peaceful, but something happened. Not only do we not trust God, the human heart, it's become rotten. It's become filled with evil thoughts, evil desires, and it's affected all of our relationships, whether it's from God or our friends. You see it all around you. The renowned German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, he said, man is the cruelest animal. Douglas Preston, a uh, New York Times best-selling author, says, we all have a monster within. The difference is in degree, not in kind. T.S. Eliot says, most of the evil in this world is done by people with good intentions. The human heart is evil. You feel it in each and every one of you. You feel it in the relationships that you have with other people. There's brokenness. There's some kind of distrust. So what happened? What broke? Now I have four points for us today to navigate through this question. The first one is, the shade, the second is the lie, the third is the tree, and the fourth is the call. The shade, the lie, the tree, the call. The shade, honestly, I couldn't think of any other word, so I came up with the shade. And I'm not talking about like a lampstand, I'm not talking about shade from the sun. You can't find this definition in dictionary.com. You gotta look in urbandictionary.com. <laughs> UrbanDictionary.com defines shade as trying to act in a slick or casual manner by using something against somebody, disrespecting, insulting, or judging. UrbanDictionary.com, yeah, you should go there more often. Look at verse 1 with me. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say? Here, Satan isn't questioning whether God said it. He knows exactly what God said, but what is he doing? He's throwing shade at God. He's throwing shade. What is, what's he pretty much saying is, did God actually just say that? Are you serious? Is God stupid? He's mocking God. The serpent here was trying to get Eve to change her attitude towards God. 
The key is the fall of the human race, it didn't begin with an action. It began with an attitude of the heart. The fall of the human race, it didn't begin with an action. It began with an attitude of the human heart. Contrary to popular belief, the fall began before Eve bit into that fruit. Satan had already influenced Eve. It started sinking deep into the thoughts of Eve. And we see it here. God comm- God's command was, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden except just one. But the serpent, he turned this positive statement into a negative one. He said, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see what he did there? Rather than leading her mind to think of the thousands of other beautiful trees that God planted in the garden that she had the freedom to eat from, he leads her to think of that one tree that God commanded her not to eat. What he was pretty much saying was, you can't eat. If you can't eat from that one tree, you might as well not eat from any of them. And it worked. If you see Eve's response to the serpent, she says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Neither shall you touch it. Where did that come from? God never said that. But the shade that the serpent was throwing has already poisoned her mind. Can you believe that? Not only did he say that we can't eat from it, he said we can't even touch it. Her attitude towards God was changing. Friends, we too are very easily persuaded by shade. A lot of us, maybe we've been through a time when we fell away from God. And the moments, actually, when we fall away from God, they don't begin with good arguments or logical reasoning, but they come from the thoughts of the people who we surround ourselves with. People always ask at work, hey, what are you doing for the weekend? Sometimes I'm afraid to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to church. Why? Because I'm afraid what their response will be. Why do you go to church? Do you actually believe that stuff? There are many ideas today labeled as progressive, keeping up with the current times. Do you really want to be the one labeled as ignorant? He actually believes that stuff? She actually believes that stuff? It's not modern. It's completely ignorant. Then what happens? You begin to question yourself. But if you notice, there's there's absolutely no sound logical argument there. It's just an attitude of mocking or throwing shade. And this isn't even just towards God either. You know, when we, when we hear through the grapevine someone possibly having a problem with us, this happens all the time. If our best friend seems to be throwing shade, throwing jabs, throwing jokes at us really hard, our minds begin to think of the craziest extremes. Does he not like me? You know, why is he coming at me so hard? Did I do something? Is someone turning him against me? Do I have enemies? Does he hate me? Oh my God, is he trying to kill me? Is that why he wanted to be friends with me in the first place? Is this guy a serial killer? You know, I'm I'm exaggerating, but isn't that what, what happens? 
That's what happens when relationships break down. We sometimes read into things that we've been tipped off or noticed something. Something from just something so little. Just a little comment that the serpent implants into our heads. It becomes destructive. Shade. That's shade. I don't know why I keep doing that. Shade. The fall of man, it didn't begin with an action, but a change in attitude towards God. That's the first point, the shade. The second is the lie. The fall of the human race then continues on with a lie. The next thing we see after the attitude of the heart is a lie for the mind. Look at verse 4 with me. God said, don't eat of this tree. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is what the serpent was saying. If you obey God, he's going to keep you down. God knows that when you, if you do this, if you do this or that, your eyes are going to be open to new and amazing things. And he doesn't want you to see it. At the heart of it, Satan wants you to believe that if you obey God, you're going to have major FOMO. You're going to miss out. If you obey God, you're not going to be happy. If you follow what God says, he's going to keep you from being successful. He'll keep you from being all that you've hoped and dreamed to be. He's holding you back from reaching your full potential. Satan here is so crafty. He knows all of our weaknesses. And if you notice here, Satan doesn't go after the existence of God. He could have easily went the route of, hey, God doesn't exist. God doesn't do this. God doesn't do that. But his goal isn't for the human population to disbelieve, disbelieve in the existence of God. He knows that deep with inside every human heart, people already believe that God exists. Tim Keller, he breaks this down so well. Satan doesn't say, God didn't say that you can't eat of that tree. He doesn't deny the law of God. He doesn't deny the will of God. He doesn't deny the holiness of God. He denies the goodness of God. He denies the goodness, the love, and the grace behind all those laws and rules. One pastor said this, this, in fact, is the lie that, the sinners have, that sinners have believed ever since the beginning. The lie of the not to be trusted because he does not love me, false father. You just can't trust God, so what do you do? You take matters into your own hands. This lie, it's, it's, it's sunk deep into Eve's heart. It's sunk deep into Adam's heart. It's sunk deep into your heart, and it's sunk deep into my heart. How do we know that? How does, that, how does that play out in our lives? Anytime you're, you're put in a dilemma of what you should do and you shouldn't do, you, you, you see it. God says, I shouldn't sleep with this person until marriage. Well, I'm going to do it anyways. Why should I have to wait? God says, I should give to the poor and be generous, but why should I? I worked hard for this money. This is mine. I, I, I earned this. Why should I listen to God? Friends, you already believe that you can't trust God. You're thinking that if you, obey, if you obey God, you're not going to be happy. On the one hand, that's why so many of us work so hard to earn our salvation through moral living, through righteous duty. But on the other hand, that's why some of us have completely left the church entirely. We left God. 
We say, I want to live life my own way, by my rules. But at the end of the day, whether you live religiously or non-religiously, it's because you don't trust in the grace of God. You don't trust God, and that's at the center, that's at the root of it all. The shade, the lie, thirdly, the tree. Look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. She finally took action. This, the shade was presented, the lie implanted into her head, and she finally did it. She ate from the tree. And the question is, you know, why is eating from this tree so bad? You know, it's just a tree. What's the big deal? It's not like she murdered somebody. Why did God even tell her not to eat from this tree? I just don't understand why he would keep, keep her from doing it. What's so special about this tree? One theologian said this, God chose one tree among many and arbitrarily told man not to eat of it. And if the tree had been naturally different from other trees, it could not have served its unique purpose. That the command might appear as purely arbitrary, the specially chosen tree had to be natural like the other trees. What he's saying here is, there was absolutely nothing special about this tree. It didn't look different. It didn't, it didn't have a special kind of fruit. It wasn't in the middle of the garden with like a, light of, a beam of light shining down to make it seem like it was better than all the other trees. It was just an ordinary tree, just like the thousands of others planted in the garden. Why? Because the command given to Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was given to him not because of a particular tree, but because God had been the one to give that command. Or in other words, God was asking for obedience simply because he was God. It had nothing to do with the tree. The reason for obedience was that God had required it. And I know what you're thinking, because I was thinking the same thing. It's unfair. Why, why, would, why would God keep us from doing that without giving us a reason. We deserve to have a reason. It's oppressive. They should have the right to do whatever they want to do. But you see what we're doing here? We're putting ourselves in the place of God. But not taking God's word for it and asking for a reason, we're essentially saying, God, I don't think you're very good at this God thing. Give me the reins. I'm going to take it over. Let me give it a try. Once we're given a reason to obey, it no longer becomes obedience. Rather, it becomes a cost-benefit analysis. We're, we're weighing the scales. You know, we see whether the risk is worth it or not. If you eat from this tree, you're going to suffer infinite pain. You're going to suffer infinite suffering. You'll have to work for your food. When you give birth, it's going to hurt. The list goes on and on and on. Your, your life is going to be ruined. If God said that to Adam, do you think Adam's going to eat of that fruit? No. He's like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. It's not worth it. I've got thousands of other trees here to eat from. I'm good. But that's not obedience. That's self-interest. That's putting 
ourselves in the place of God. And this is exactly what we see placed in front of Eve. If you look at verse 4 and 5, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Friends, Adam and Eve already knew the difference between good and evil. They knew that obeying God was good and obeying uh, Satan was evil. But that wasn't what Eve was after. She wanted to be like God. She wanted to be God. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't named that because if you ate of it, you'll be given some magical knowledge. It's named that because the tree was where the question of what is good and what is evil was to be settled. Because it's between the goodness of God or the evil of Satan's lies. Tim Keller says this, At the heart of sin is putting myself on the throne of God. At the heart of sin is putting myself in the throne of God. And that's something that we're constantly doing. We do this whether consciously or subconsciously. Friends, why are you so anxious and worried all the time? It's because you don't think that God has it all under control. Why are you stressed all the time? It's because you feel like you can do more. And God isn't doing enough for you. So what do you do? You take matters into your own hands. Why is it so difficult to forgive others? It's because you think, it's because you believe that you know exactly what punishment they deserve and you don't trust in the justice of God. Why are you such an angry person? It's because your life isn't going the way that you wanted it to go. And you're shaking your fist at God and you're thinking, I deserve better. I could have done a better job than you. Again, we don't trust God, so we want to be God. We don't trust that he loves us. And this is the reason for such a broken and fragmented relationship with God. And that leads us to our final point, the call. The shade, the lie, the tree, the call. How can a relationship like this between God and man be reconciled? We don't trust God. I said it like a million times, literally. We don't trust that he loves us. We don't trust that he has our best interest in mind. Look at verse 8 with me. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord, uh, the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? After the relationship had been broken and shattered, notice that Adam and Eve are now, they become hiders. They heard God coming, and once before they, they ate of that tree, they were ecstatic to be with God. They probably came running to God, excited to be with him as a father. But what did they do? They hid from God. They were ashamed. They were embarrassed. They were guilty. So they hid. Friends, this is true even today. We are all natural hiders. 
We hide from others. We hide from ourselves. Ultimately, we hide from God. We're ashamed. We're, we're afraid of who we truly are. So what do we do? We put up barriers. We keep other people at arm's length. We don't want others to see our enormous insecurities, our broken past, the crazy thoughts that go on in our heads, our constant anxieties. Sometimes when you're like alone in the room, aren't you thinking, man, am I crazy? Is it just me? Am I actually crazy? I wonder if other people are this crazy. Some people are just better at hiding the crazy, but you don't want other people to see that. So what do you do? You keep them away. We hide. We make the storefront of our lives it look, it, to look beautiful, to look manicured. But once we allow people to walk in and go through those doors into the store, we're afraid just how much of a mess we are. And we're afraid that they're going to walk right out. And we don't just do this for other people. We actually hide from ourselves as well. We refuse to believe some of the things that we are capable of. So what do we do? We repress it all the way down. Most of us, we're hiding from God because when we come face to face with a holy God, we become aware of things that we don't want to be. All the nooks and crannies, all the, all the small crevices in your lives are completely exposed to light. And we see all the filth that has been building up over the years. The bitterness, the gossip, the pride, the ugliness, the hatred. It's dirty down there. And we don't want to deal with it. But in the midst of all our shame in the midst of all our guilt and brokenness and insecurities, God calls. He seeks us. What did he say to Adam and Eve? Where are you? Of course, God knows exactly where they are. But in his gentleness and grace, he calls. He seeks. At that moment, or confronted. They're confronted with their sin. And this is what happens when we come to God. And honestly, this is probably the most gracious thing that God could ever do for us. Friends, do you have other people in place in your lives where they're going to call you out? Are people calling you out now? Do you have sins that have resurfaced and sin now is at your doorstep? Do you have friends like that? Do you have friends that speak into your life? You need people to be able to expose the sin in our lives. If you don't have friends like that, you might need new friends. And if you're not a friend like that, you need to be a better friend. This is how we grow. This is how we are able to see the small things in our lives that will eventually turn into huge things. This is what happens when we come face to face with God. We're exposed to our sins. We're exposed to our idols that we are completely blind to. So the challenge is, are you going to let them in? Stop covering yourselves with fig leaves, the fig leaves of grades, of money, of position at work, of sex, of relationships. You think that these things are going to give you life, but they actually suck life 
from you. Doesn't it get tiring to hide? Doesn't it get tiring to conceal? Friends, stop hiding. Step into the light. At first, it's like surgery. It's, it, it hurts in the beginning. You think it's tearing you apart, but in the end, it's actually making you whole. It's the process of sucking this poison, this poison from the serpent out of your lives and making you clean. Even in our brokenness, God seeks us out. In his love, he comes to us. And God's greatest expression of his love for us is in Jesus Christ. Through him, God sought us out. Through him, God came to us. Although the first Adam came into this world and he completely failed, the second and last Adam, Jesus Christ, he prevailed. In paradise, Adam failed to dispel the shade and the mocking of the serpent, but Jesus Christ wasn't in paradise. He was in, wilderness. in the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan again and again, but what did he say? He said, away from me, Satan. Worship the Lord God and serve him only. His attitude towards God, it never wavered. It never failed. Adam failed to trust in the Lord even when everything that he could have ever wanted in paradise was provided for him. But Jesus, although he was sent down out of paradise into a dark and broken world, he had no home, he had no place to rest his head, he didn't even have food to sustain himself. He was surrounded by people who ultimately wanted to kill him. He trusted the Father till the very end. And most of all, God commanded Adam to obey him about the tree. God commanded Adam to obey him about the tree for Adam's own good. But he disobeyed. But when the, when the father commanded Jesus to obey about the tree, even though it wasn't for his own good, but for the good of others, even though he would be forsaken by the father, even though it would ultimately cost him his own life, Jesus Christ he obeyed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he cried out, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Friends, how do we know that we can trust God? How do we know that God isn't trying to keep us down, but he's trying to raise us up? How do we know that God isn't trying to take joy from us, but give us an everlasting joy that will never run out? It's by seeing that God sent his only son, whom he loved more than anything else in the world, to his death on the cross in agony and suffering so that he would never, so that we would never doubt his love for us ever again. While I love all of you, I have two kids. I have two boys, crazy little boys. But I would never give them up for you. If I had 10, I don't want 10. I hope, oh God, no, I don't want 10. But even if I had 10, I would not give them up for your suffering. I wouldn't even give them up for my suffering. But God only had one. He had one. And he loved him. 
He was his perfect son, completely obedient, trusting, and faithful. Yet the father sent his one and only son on a mission that ensured his death to reconcile the world back to him. Jesus Christ was crucified to the tree of death, which turned that tree of death for him into a tree of life for you and for me. Do you now see the extent that God took to prove his love for you? When the serpent, he's whispering lies in your ear that God doesn't love you, that he's withholding good things from you. Friends, look at the cross. See that God, if he was not willing to withhold his one and only son for you, there is nothing that he would withhold from you. He already gave you all that he has. When you trust in the love of God for you, you're going to be able to forgive others because you trust in the justice of God. In fact, you can't reconcile with other people unless you first reconcile your relationship with God. But once you see how much you've been forgiven, you'll be able to forgive others. If you see, the larger you see Christ in your life, the larger your heart for others becomes. When you trust in the love of God, you're going to be able to let go of your constant anxieties, your stress, because you trust God and his promise that all things will work for your good according to his purpose. Friends, in your life, there will be difficult times ahead. Maybe you're going through one now. There will be times where you'll be tempted to forsake God for far lesser things. Maybe you're going through that now. There will be times when you question God's love for you. Again, maybe you're going through that now. But in those times, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and behold the ultimate display of God's love for you. Gaze at the beauty of Jesus because he could have easily disobeyed. He could have easily said, oh, I'm good. I'm going back to heaven. Instead, in his joy, in the joy of Christ, who was you, he took on that cross. He gave up his life to save your life. Let's pray.